Today we're going to be in um, the book of James. We should do a study in James. James is a lot of fun. It's right before the book of Hebrews. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Or no, you haven't gone far enough. It's right after Hebrews. Right before Peter. Well, this past, I guess it was a couple weeks ago now, not this week, but a couple weeks ago, um, I read this story that I had never heard of before. Um, it was about a, a woman named Monica. She was a single mom. She had one child, a son. Um, she had been married, but her husband had died. He was an ardent unbeliever. Um, very anti-God, uh, anti-Jesus, but she loved Jesus. She was a believer, and um, she prayed every day. She studied scripture every day. She would sing hymns around her house every single day, and it was always in her prayers, even as she had this young child, to pray over him every night and all throughout the day. Pray for who he would become. Pray for what God had intended for him. Well, the boy grew up, and he began to see the, the world differently than his mom. And uh, as an adolescent, as you know, a teenager, he, an upper teenager, he became known as a womanizer, um, as enjoying all the things the world had to offer. Uh, he was often seen publicly drunk into the wee hours of the morning. Um, but he was also incredibly smart. History tells us one of the smartest people that the world has seen. Uh, he became uh, what is called a, uh, a philosopher, uh, specializing in rhetoric and how he would philosophize and share his uh, views and thoughts. And it was in a very unique way that he gathered quite uh, a following and people who would listen to him. Uh, but as he uh, did all of this, his mother never failed to pray for him. Every day, throughout the day, she would pray for her son, that God would get a hold of him, that he would come to know Jesus, that he would believe in Jesus and, and follow him with everything that he had. Well, when her son was about 19, Monica had a dream about him. She had a dream uh, that God was going to answer her prayer and her son was going to be saved. Well, she grew more intense in her prayer in, in response to this dream, but she still didn't see the fruits of it. Year after year passed, and year after year passed again. And even as she prayed more intently and ardently, her son grew more sinful, if it was even possible, in the things he was out there doing. Uh, well, in the course of his life, he had the thought that he was going to go to Rome. This was way back when. Um, this was in the two to three hundreds range A.D. He was going to go to Rome because that's where everybody hung out. That was the, the best place to be. But it was also one of the most sinful cities in the world. That's really why he wanted to go. So he packs up and he heads to Rome. And she knew he was going to Rome. And so she began to pray when word got to her that he was headed to Rome. Uh, that God would intervene and prevent him from getting there. God would stop him from getting there. Well, unbeknownst to her, he had actually already sailed to Rome. Uh, and he was almost there by the time she started to pray that. 
Well, when he arrived there, he began to be influenced by a lot of different people. Uh, And uh, one of them uh, stuck an idea in his mind about God and Jesus, and he wanted to search this out. And so he tells the story later of sitting in this garden, this park in Rome, and he finds a Bible that was similar to his mom's uh, Bible, the scripture, and he began to search it for the very things that she had been instilling in him for so long that his friend had begun to speak to him about. He wanted to find out about this stuff for himself and see what was really in there because he hadn't thought about it in so long. And so he sat there in this park for hours and hours and hours pouring over scripture. And by the time he got done reading that day, he became a believer in Jesus. And he went on to use his skills and his giftedness as a philosopher to become one of the greatest Christian philosophers in history. His name is St. Augustine, all because of a praying mom way back when. Prayer is far more powerful than we often understand. We can give it verbal assent. Yes, I believe prayer is powerful, but when we get right down to it, a lot of us don't act like it. Sometimes we'll pray as a last resort, you know. I got nothing left to do, I'll just pray. But prayer is far greater than we do give it credit for at times. We're going to start today in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, it's on page 1013, if you're going to use a Bible on the pew rack. And if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home. Let that be your Bible. You can keep it. You don't have to bring it back. It's not borrowed. It's yours. Everybody needs a Bible, but... We're going to be in James chapter 5 today. If you've never read the book of James, I encourage you. It would only take you maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, Because James, who wrote this little book, was the brother of Jesus. And so even as his other disciples have unique perspectives, James has a very unique perspective in that he grew up in the same household Jesus did. And then after Jesus raised from the dead, James became a believer And he became the pastor of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And he writes this this little uh, book, this little letter here um, that is filled with phenomenal teaching and wisdom on every verse. Uh, And uh, just seeing how he presents um, his faith is is so profound. But we're going to start down in verse 13. Now, I want to set the context for you, okay? In the verses previous, then verse 13, in verse 9, James said, y'all don't need to complain. And then in verse, uh, where is it, verse 12, so verse 9 he says don't complain, verse 12 he says don't swear any oaths. And so instead of complaining, instead of swearing oaths about stuff, he says this in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the ones, heal the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I do want to point something out. Um, James is not necessarily saying there in verse 14 that... uh, that if you're sick, you, you get some elders of the church, some ministers of the church to come over with some holy olive oil and they anoint your head uh, and they pray over you that you will instantly be healed. 
Uh, that's not what James is saying. He's presenting this in a way as he did throughout his book. Uh, this isn't necessarily um, ritualistic in what he's saying. That if you get this special oil, God has no other choice but to heal you. Like you're forcing God to do it. James is not presenting this like a ritual. He's presenting this as though it's representative. Because what they would often do in ancient Judaism when it, came to, when it comes to anointing oil is it was, it was a symbol of setting someone apart, of setting a certain uh, item apart for use for God. And so it wasn't that I am anointing this person with oil so God has to heal them. It's, it, it, it's more for the person that they would recognize what's actually happening here in the moment. That it's representative of God having set them apart and God's intervention in their life. And so that's why that is in there the way it is. And he says the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, and God will raise him up in whatever capacity. God wants to raise him up. And then we get to verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, we do a lot of stuff in the church. You know, we sing, we pray, we read scripture, we go to Bible study, we're Baptists, we eat, we do all this stuff. But how often do you do the first part of verse 16? When's the last time you confessed your sins to one another? Well, I'll, you know, preacher, man, I'll, I'll confess like, you know, the minor one. The ones that everybody does. Uh, you know, I'll confess some of those, but, you know, on occasion, but not be for real. I'll say it in a joking fashion. <laughs> you know, I won't get real. But James is saying we need, to, we need to be so unified as Jesus prayed in John 17. So trusting, transparent, and confidential that this doesn't just become common practice, this becomes muscle memory. Because it's not saying I'm confessing this and then like you're in sixth grade, you try to one-up each other with, with how bad you can get. No, it's I need help. Can you help me through prayer? That's what that's supposed to be. We confess so that we can help each other. We confess so we can pray for each other. That's what, honestly, that's what small groups are supposed to be about. I'm struggling with this deal and I've got this going on and I really need prayer right now. Can you really come and pray for me? So that's what James is saying. Confess your sins to one another so you can pray for one another. You can't pray for what you don't know. He says, confess your sins and pray for one another so you will be healed. And then he drops this bomb here in the second half of the verse, verse 16. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer of a righteous person. Righteous person means saved person in New Testament vernacular. But the literal translation of that verse is the prayed prayer of a righteous person is very strong. The prayed prayer of a righteous person, of a saved person, is very strong. So a believer who prays a prayed prayer that prayer is very strong. And then he gives this illustration. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. 
Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. So he gives this example of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. He was a man with a nature like ours. So he's just like us. It says he prayed fervently. He prayed fervently. Again, the literal translation of prayed fervently is he prayed in prayer. It's a repetition used in ancient languages for emphasis. That's why in our translation it says he prayed fervently. It's, it's repeated so as to say you really need to focus on this. He prayed in such a powerful way that it was fervent, that it was intense. He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruits. So his prayers, Elijah's prayer, were, they, they weren't flippant. They weren't meaningless. Like we looked last week at prayer uh, from Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus said that kind of empty prayer, he, Jesus called it empty phrases, words that have no meaning behind them. But Elijah's prayer that he's talking about here, prayed fervently, uh, uh, prayed in prayer, is uh, faithfully focused on the power of God. Elijah's not, not worried about the words and, and the order they're in and, and uh, you know, how big the words are and how smart he sounds when he prays them. Elijah, in his prayer, is focused entirely on the power of God. He's faithfully focused on the power of God. And because he's faithfully focused on the power of God, he sees something happen that he never would have seen otherwise. Because strength of faith determines strength of prayer. Strength of faith determines strength of prayer. And what's so fascinating about that is that faith is really just trust. Strength of faith determines strength of prayer. Faith is trust. So strength of trust determines strength of prayer. But a strong prayer doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get exactly what you want the way you want it when you want it. Sometimes that's how we determine whether or not our prayer is effective is if we get what we want, exactly how we laid it out for God, our plan, exactly when we wanted it. And then we say, man, that prayer worked because God gave me what I wanted. But don't raise your hand, or maybe you should. Everybody, I'll ask this question. Raise your hand if you feel like you should raise your hand. How many of you think God is smarter than you? It's not a trick question. Yeah. I, I mean, God is smarter than us. And so when it comes down to this, that, that strength of faith, strength of trust determines strength of prayer. That if we really trust God, we ought to know that whatever he gives us is going to be better than what we're asking. You say, well, he didn't give me what I wanted. Well, maybe what you wanted wasn't the best for the situation. Maybe what you wanted wasn't what aligned best with God's will. Have you ever heard the old adage? The worst thing that can happen to you is for God to give you everything you ask for. It's true. I mean, imagine where you would be if God gave you everything you asked for. If God were your genie. But strength of faith, strength of trust. How much do you trust God? That when you pray for something, if God says not right now, do you still trust him? Or if God outright says no, do you still trust him? Or does your Trust of God completely depend on whether or not he tells you yes. Because if it does, that's not really faith. That's not much of a relationship in that. There's no trust in that. God, I'm only going to follow you as long as you give me what I want. 
As soon as you don't give me what I want, God, I'm going to stop following you. I'm going to stop doing whatever you want me to do. I'm only going to go with you as far as you tell me yes to everything I ask. That's not much of a relationship there. That's not much trust. God didn't come to give us everything we want. God came to give us an abundant life as he deems fit. God came to reveal his glory and save as many people as will believe. And so here, he's talking about this Elijah. He prayed this incredible prayer. A prayer that was strong in faith. And it was the strength of faith that determined the strength of his prayer. But even if God had said no, which in this circumstance, we're actually going to go look at it here in a sec. God told him yes. There actually was another situation. I don't know if y'all remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Before they got tossed into the fiery furnace, they said, we believe God will save us from the fire of that furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will still worship him. We will not bow the knee to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, even when God doesn't answer the way we want, that doesn't negate the incredible power of strong, faith-filled prayers. So let's go back and flip to what James is actually talking about. First Kings chapter 18. In the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 18, it's on page 301, verse 41. See, what's been happening here is just a couple chapters ago, Elijah was introduced. Um, just comes on the scene, walks into the king and says, I prayed that there wouldn't be any rain, so the rain stops and then Elijah disappears. The king starts hunting for him. Elijah becomes the most wanted man in the nation. And it doesn't rain for three and a half years. And then Elijah comes and he says, I want you to gather all of those fake prophets you've been following. All of them. There's 450. I want you to get them all together and we're going to have a, a, an offering and see whose God is real. The God y'all been following or the God that I follow? And so they get those 450 prophets, and they get this altar, and they get a bowl on the altar, and Elijah's got his, and he's going to do that in a minute. And he says, all right, y'all start praying, and, and we're going to pray that our gods would drop fire from the sky, lightning from the sky, and whosoever God lights their altar, their offering on fire, that's the real one. And so those 450 prophets are dancing around, they're doing all their worship, they're cutting themselves with swords, it says, and nothing happens. And then Elijah's turn comes, and he builds his altar and he puts that, the wood, and then he puts the offering on top, and he has them dig this trench around it. And then he has them take these four giant water jars and soak the offering with water. And then he has them do it again. And then he has them do it again. And so they're dumping, at all told, 12 giant water jars on top of his altar. And then Elijah kneels down, prays one very simple prayer, very simple, takes up, I think, just two verses. And then fire, lightning, shoots out of the sky with such intensity, it doesn't just light the offering on fire and the wood on fire. It makes the, the, all the water that was in the trench disappear. And it's, it was so hot, it eradicated even the rocks that made up the altar. And so Elijah prays this prayer. The nation turns back to God. And then Elijah, remember it still hadn't rained for three and a half years. Elijah turns in verse 41 of 1 Kings chapter 18. And look at what happened. And Elijah said to Ahab, Ahab was the king, 
He said, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. Now, I want to point something out here. Elijah, at this point in verse 41, has not prayed yet for the rain to come back. Elijah turns to the king and says, I hear the sound of rain, even though he hasn't asked God for the rain yet. He says, you better go eat your dinner. You're about to have to leave because the rain's about to come. But he hadn't asked God for the rain yet. Verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. So Elijah kneels down in prayer. It says he bows down. So he's kneeling down. He's got his head tucked as low as it will go. And he begins to pray. Pray for the rain er, to come. Verse 43. And he said to his servant, go up now. Look toward the sea. And he went up and looked. And he says, there is nothing. And he said, go again. Seven times. So just to put the scene in perspective, right? You've got Elijah, and he's kneeling down, and he's tucked down, and he's, he's begging God in prayer, God, bring the rain. And he prays, and he prays, and he looks up to his, his servant who's there, uh, Gehazi, and he says, hey, go up. It's not Gehazi's later. He says, go up and, and see if the rain's coming. I've been praying, go and see. And so he goes running, just picture it, right? He goes running up the mountain, and he's all excited, and he's going, and he climbs up, and he climbs up, and he climbs up, and he looks, and he looks. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I imagine he saw Elijah praying with the intensity and the fervor that he was praying, and so he probably waits up there for a little while, and he's looking, and he's looking. It's that kind of deal like you wait as long as you possibly can and not be awkward. And he sees nothing. And so he goes back down. He's probably going back down a lot slower than he came up. And he goes back down. And Elijah's there, probably anticipating the servant coming back and saying, I saw a cloud. And he comes back and he says, what does he say? There's nothing. Elijah doesn't hesitate. He starts praying again. He starts praying again. He he bows down, tucks his head in, and he starts begging God again. God, bring the rain. God, bring the rain. God, bring You said you were going to bring the rain. God, bring it. And he looks up after all this fervent prayer. Maybe tears were coming. Maybe his veins are popping out. And he says to his servant again, go and look. It's coming now. That servant runs up the hill again. He goes charging up that hill, and he looks out. He's, oh, man, there's nothing again. And then he runs back down, tells Elijah again, there's nothing, nothing. Elijah, again, doesn't hesitate, drops down, prays again. If I'm that servant, I'm thinking, God, please, let there be a cloud this time. I don't want to run up the mountain anymore. And Elijah gets up, says, go, and he does this seven times. If you were the servant running up that hill on the seventh time, what are you thinking? Like, for Pete's sake, man, like. How many times is this guy going to make me run up the mountain? Like I've, I, you know, let's put this in, in just a little perspective. This is one of those things, Alyssa, this isn't going to be on the screen. Uh, I told her, I was just going around shaking somebody else's hand. I felt God changed this just a little bit. But I want to show you all this. A couple chapters ago, in chapter 17, uh, there's a, a woman who God used, and God did a miracle in, their, in her life, and she's a widow, and she had a son. And uh, she had a little flower. God 
reproduce the flower in a miraculous way, but then her son dies, and Elijah goes to raise the child back to life. And it's in verse, let's see, 21. He stressed himself upon the child three times, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Is that a big, complicated prayer? Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Real simple. Oh, Lord, God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. One real simple prayer, and he brought a kid back to life. And then, chapter 18, I mentioned it a second ago. He's on that mountain, got that water-soaked offering. Look down in verse, let's see, 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Simple prayer. It's two verses, maybe one and a half verses. But God, please do this thing. God did it. He prayed once, kid comes back to life. Prays again. Lightning shoots out of the sky in such a powerful way. It makes a whole nation turn back to God. But now here he is on the mountain praying for rain. And it takes him seven times. Again, if you're the servant running up and down the mountain seven times, you're thinking, he had to pray once to bring a kid back to life. He just prayed once for fire to shoot out of the sky Thinking we get to number seven, like, maybe this isn't what God wanted here, Elijah. Maybe you're missing it here. You just keep on praying like this. You just keep on going like this. But he did. He prayed seven times. Servant ran back up. Time number seven, verse 44. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. So the servant comes back down and says, there's a super tiny cloud way, way out there. Way, way out there. Like, I mean, it might hit us tomorrow. Like, it's so far. And what does Elijah say? He says, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. You see, Elijah's faith-filled prayer was demonstrated by his perseverance. All indication was that Elijah was going to pray for as long as it took. He wasn't going to give up. He was not going to stop praying. There's not a cloud yet, I'm going to keep going. There's not a cloud yet, I'm going to keep praying. There's not a cloud yet, I'm going to keep praying. I'm not going to stop. Even if the servant is thinking, man, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Elijah's going to keep praying for rain. Keep praying for rain. You know, I had the thought, and I couldn't find anybody who answered it adequately. But in James, when he gives the illustration of, of Elijah, Elijah was a man just like us. 
And he prayed that God would do this miracle and bring the rain. My thought was, why wasn't the illustration he prayed and God brought a kid back to life? Like, I'm thinking bringing somebody back to life is a little bit bigger than bringing rain, especially for that mom. Or even the fire from heaven. That's one of his biggest things is he's there before the whole nation. And he prays that fire would fall and fire falls. And the nation turns, the whole nation turns back to God. Why is the illustration that James uses in James 5, he prayed and then it rained? To me, it seems a little underwhelming. But, and nobody, all the commentators I read, they basically said, yeah, that's what James said. And then they went on to something else. It's like, you're not answering my question. It would it, it really seem, though, that James is not trying to focus on what the miracle was. Because what we tend to do as human beings is rank God's miracles. Raising somebody back from the dead seems a lot bigger than it raining. But that's not the issue with Elijah, and that's not the issue with James. The issue is God's power coming because of his prayer. However long it took. It took one prayer with the kid. It took one prayer with the fire. It took seven with the rain. Not that he had any less faith with the rain. But he persevered in prayer. And Elijah participated in many miracles. But his lasting legacy, something that I discovered in in studying this, his lasting legacy, even in a whole bunch of Jewish literature, ancient Jewish literature, Elijah is known as one who perseveres in prayer. Not because he prayed once for the kid to come back to life, or he prayed once for the fire to come. He's known as somebody who persevered in prayer. Because here he is praying seven times for the rain to come. The rain that he already promised would come. The rain he already said, God's going to make it rain. And so he prays, and he prays fervently, and he prays intensely, and he prays in perseverance. It doesn't tell us how long he stays on the mountain praying. It could have been maybe one sentence, send the servant. One sentence, send the servant. It could have been extended periods of begging God. It doesn't tell us. It just tells us he prayed in perseverance. And he prays such fervent prayers, prayed in prayer, prayers with great emphasis, prayers with great faith-filled focus uh, that God answered in this way. I've heard one preacher call these kinds of prayers push prayers. Pray until something happens, an acronym, push. Pray until something happens. You never stop praying. You just keep on praying. And never, never allow, when you pray in perseverance, never allow the prayer to become just you know, wrote to become, I'm just going to pray it because I've always prayed it, but the same level of intensity, the same level of faith, the same level of of your anticipation of God's power is behind the thousandth prayer as was behind the first one. That's what we see in Elijah. That's why he keeps sending that servant up the mountain because he anticipates the servant coming back every single time and saying there's a cloud, even though the servant said six times in a row there's nothing. He still anticipated number seven being just like number one. There's going to be something. And he kept praying in perseverance, praying until something happens. You see, the strong in faith persevere in prayer. The strong in faith persevere in prayer. Even when the thing exactly what we pray for doesn't happen exactly like we anticipate or when we anticipate, the strong in faith keep praying. Don't stop. Keep going. 
Because their trust, again, strong in faith, strong in trust, their trust is in God, that God knows something that we don't. So I'm going to keep praying. God knows something that I don't, so I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to stay tied into him, because if I don't stay tied into him, I'm going to get weak in faith. And if I'm weak in faith, I cannot accomplish what God wants me to accomplish, and I can't get out there telling more people about Jesus. I've got to stay strong in faith, so I've got to persevere in prayer. I'm going to stick to it. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going and keep going and keep going and pray about everything, everything, even the stuff I may feel like is too small. I'm going to pray. Even the stuff I may feel like, and not acknowledge it, not say it out loud, but I may feel honestly like it's too big, like it's too impossible, it's too audacious, like that kind of prayer isn't going to happen, but I'm going to pray about that anyway. Because if we ever leave stuff unprayed for, it creates within us, I mean, it's like if our faith was a bucket, and if we leave something unprayed for because we feel like God can't do it, it's like there's a hole in the bottom of our bucket. Say, God, God, God can't accomplish that one. I'm just, I'm just gonna, not going not gonna to even bring it, bring it up because I don't believe God can, God can do it. But you got to keep praying. You got to keep going. Came across this verse just a little bit ago. I got it here. I went and searched for the New Living Translation because uh, I, I, I double-checked to make sure it was, you know, um, translated on the nose, and it was. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I love how it phrases it here. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So let's read that again. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then, so once you stopped worrying because you're praying instead. You've replaced your worry with prayer. You're telling God what you need. Everything that you need, you're telling God. And you thank him for all he's done. And similar to what Elijah did before it happened, he's thanking God. And when you do that, Paul said, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace, God's peace, will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus because you were praying, persevering in prayer, persevere, never stopping Pray, continuing to pray, continuing to dive deep in what God would have for you. Praying, like we opened, we talked about St. Augustine, his mom being per, uh, someone who persevered in prayer for decades for her son. Persevering in prayer and seeing God intervene, seeing God do something you never would have seen otherwise. But in the same regard, even if God doesn't do what you want, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, are you still going to follow him? Still going to persevere in faith? Still going to believe that God knows best? Still trust that, that, that God can, can take care of you and provide for you and give you everything that he needs you to have. Everything that you, he needs you to have. Have you ever, um, this is mainly for you know, parents who've had kids, and you, you try to get them to make like a birthday list or a Christmas list, and you say, okay, before you write down all the stuff, what do you need? Like, just need, for real. Like, what do you, we're going to do the needs first. 
What do, you, what do you need? Like, you need a new shirt, need, maybe your shoes are too small, you need some new pants, some new pajamas. You need something? What do you need? And they'll say, Xbox? No, I'm thinking like, like you know, food. You need food. Like, like what, what, what do you need to function every single day? iPad? No, what do you, what do you need? See, as a parent, you, you know better what your kid needs than the perspective they might have. In the same regard, God knows better what we need. Just as we read a week or two ago about Paul when God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you today. That thing you're asking me for, I know what will come because I give you that thing. My grace is sufficient. My grace will help you grow you say, but God, that'll stretch my faith too far. My faith is going to break if you, don't, if you don't answer this prayer like this. My faith is going to be pulled and snap. The other day I was, I was exercising and I was using a, a, a resistance band. It was a, a, a black one and, and I was doing push downs and I did it and it snapped and it popped me. You say, like, it's gonna, I'm going to pull it too hard and it's going to snap. It's going to pop me. It's going to be one of those videos on funny, America's Funniest Videos. Yeah, I'll win the money, but I'll be really, really hurt. You know, it, it's, my faith is going to snap if you stretch it too far, God. And God says, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> uh, I was talking to um, Lynette the other day and, and Jared, and Lynette's in the kitchen getting lunch ready. So as soon as you walk out in the hall, you're going to smell it. It's going to be great. Um, but we were talking about faith. And faith, faith is a muscle. You know, just like you physical muscles you have in your body. Faith is a spiritual muscle. Faith is a muscle. And how do muscles grow? Muscles grow when you put them under strain. Muscles grow when you use them. Faith can't grow if it's not put under strain. Faith can't grow if it's not stretched. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there and rot and not be grown at all. I guarantee you, you ask anybody who's strong in faith, who's powerful in faith, who is, is a powerhouse spiritually, you ask them today, how did you get there? Well, God brought me through this, and God brought me through this, and God brought me through this. And I didn't think I was going to make it through number four, but God brought me through that. And because I got through that, I'm going to have more faith now than I ever did before. So I wouldn't undo that. At the time, I did. I wanted, I wanted God to pull me out of that, and I wanted God to wipe out all the people, and I wanted God to take care of this and do that and this over here. But if I hadn't come through that, my faith wouldn't be where it is today. So I wouldn't undo it. Because that would mean all the progress I've made, all the strength I've, I've gained would be undone. So I'm going to continue to have my faith stretched. It's similar to, you know, we're told never to ask God for patience because he will give you opportunities to practice your patience. Because that's how you grow patience. Same thing with faith. That's how you grow faith. You use it in situations where you need it. So when Paul, in, in Corinthians, asked God to remove his thorn in the flesh, and God said, no, because my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, I need you to have more faith, Paul was okay with that. When Jesus said in, in uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer, give me this day my daily bread, he wants us to, to turn to God every day in faith for what God will provide for us that day. And then tomorrow, so that we can come back to him and God will provide tomorrow what we need tomorrow. 
You see, because as I've said many, many times, God will never give you a life where you don't need him. So we've got to turn to him constantly in faith, in trust, that God knows what he's doing. That God is, is trustworthy, that God is faithful, that we can turn to him and follow him. And because we can, we pursue him with great prayer, great perseverance of prayer. So I'm going to ask you some difficult questions. Don't raise your hands, but I'm going to ask you some difficult questions. Have you ever, in your faith journey, in your prayer life, have you ever given up in prayer? Have you gotten to a point in praying that either you didn't get the answer you wanted or it was taking too long and you gave up? Gave up trying? Maybe you continued to pray the thing, but you didn't really mean it when you were praying it. You just prayed it because it was on your prayer list and your OCD and you got to pray the whole list. And so you just kept going. But did you really just give up in your heart and think God's never going to do that? Is there anything that you've done that with. You just stopped genuinely, transparently, with power, with faith, praying for. Maybe you didn't necessarily say the words, I'm giving up, uh, it just isn't gonna happen. Maybe it just, you know, fizzled out and you stopped praying. What is that thing? Because what I'm asking you to do today is bring it back. Bring it back. And persevere in prayer over that specific thing. There's some names on this prayer pew that were on this prayer pew last time we had this thing out. Because some people are still persevering in prayer. Some people haven't stopped. They're still praying over some specific names of some specific people. And some of those names are up here two, three, and four times. And they were up there two, three, and four times last time we pulled this prayer pew out a couple years ago. Because God is still working on them. And we got to keep persevering. We got to keep praying in faith. Maybe the thing that you stopped praying for seems too outlandish, seems too over the top, seems too unrealistic, seems too much. So what I'm asking you today is bring it back. Pray over that thing. Because is God ever too big for what you're going to ask Him? Is God ever too big? for what you're going to ask him. I've seen God do the impossible, or what I consider to be impossible. I've seen God heal people. I've seen God bring back family members that they thought were long gone in the depths of addiction. I, see, I, I mentioned this back in January here in the church. There was an outlandish number that I was praying God would bring one day in an offering a number that far exceeded anything we've ever brought, all offering together in my nine years of being here. And I was, it was when we were fasting in January, and I, I mentioned the story again. Uh, it, was the day, it was the day of the last day of our fast. I got the mail, and it wasn't just the compilation of everybody's giving in that envelope. It was a single check that had the exact number I was praying for. And I had, honestly, even the pastor, I had long given up on God giving us that. I thought, this is, this is nuts. Like, this is crazy. This isn't going to happen. But then God brought it and said, okay, you need to stop that and trust that I'm powerful enough to do whatever you ask. I, there's nothing too big for you to ask. And so I'm asking you right now, is there anything in the back of your mind that you have thought is too big 
It's too outlandish. It's too crazy. It's something you will pray for, but you won't mention to the person next to you because you're going to sound nuts if you bring it up. Man, I'm praying for this. You're what? What's that thing? What's that thing that you need to start praying in perseverance for? Like Elijah, not giving up. And what I love about Elijah, it's not that he just didn't give up. He announced what he was praying for to the king, his enemy, the king who wanted to kill him. He announced what he was praying for to the king, and then he went and prayed for it to his servant, and he went and prayed for it. Elijah told everybody who was in his immediate vicinity, this is what I'm praying for. God's going to do it. You're going to see it, and he went and prayed. He went and prayed without anxiety that they were thinking bad of him because God hadn't delivered on it yet, or they were thinking, oh, man, poor Elijah. He's praying for that thing, but God's not going to give it to him. Elijah wasn't thinking that because Elijah was totally focused on the power of God. So what is it you need to pray for today? So it's maybe something you've given up on, maybe something you've thought is too big. What do you need to pray for today? Be strong in faith, persevering in prayer. Maybe today you have yet to believe in Jesus and your presence in the room is the result of some grandmother who prayed for you for decades. And you need to believe in Jesus today. Believe in Jesus That he died so all your sins would be forgiven. Even the secret ones nobody knows about. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Do you need to believe in Jesus today? Believe and receive salvation. Believe and receive eternal life. Do you need to believe in Jesus? Maybe you need to come back to Jesus. You've been off wandering, doing your thing. You need to come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, man, I, I, I know I believed in you and I've always believed in you. And I got saved when I was seven, and, and, but I've been wandering around, kind of like St. Augustine. I've been doing my thing, but Jesus, I need to come back. I need to come back. And you need to come back to Jesus today. Whatever you need to do, the thing you need to pray for, you've thought it's too big, maybe you've given up on. Maybe you need to come to Jesus today for the first time or come back to Jesus today. Or maybe you need to come write something on one of these post-it notes and put it on the prayer pew. And that will be your announcing it kind of like Elijah to the king and to his servant. You need to come and put it up here as a signal to yourself that I trust God. A signal to yourself of how strong your faith is. Of the thing you need to be praying for. Maybe it's a name of somebody you've given up on. But Jesus doesn't give up on any of us. We shouldn't give up on anybody else. What do you need to persevere in prayer over today?